that he sends his chapter to. I know that we've prayed, but let's just pray one more time. Holy Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for one another. We thank you for fellowship. So often we take these gifts from you for granted. Thank you for the just the synergy of being with one another. The smiles, the love, the sharing, the prayers. Oh God, may we treasure these things. Now Father, once again, once again, once again, we pray that you'll speak to our hearts. Lord, if you don't speak, this has been a waste of time. So Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Open our ears, open our hearts, and once again, give us the ability to concentrate and not miss anything that you want to say to us. Thank you for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in this little series that I'm doing entitled uh, Resilience. Resilience. And again, I mean, I, I wrestle with this because I don't, I, I don't want to come across as some locker room coach or anything, and neither do I want to come across as being uh, not sympathetic or, or, or minimizing our need to recognize the hurt and pain that we go through in the Christian life. But the bottom line is, as you read about uh, God's hand in human history, there's a certain, um, there's a certain toughness that needs to be developed. There's a certain resilience that needs to be developed in our Christian life. And sometimes God stands back and does not immediately come to rescue us because he realizes that if he rescues us, then we will not stick around long enough to stick. That we won't, we won't get what we absolutely need in order to be what he's called us to be. So, you know, you've got to learn how to take a hit. You've got to learn how to take a punch. And by the way, parenthetically, that's one of the things that as parents, we've got to be careful of. Um, we have to understand that protection is part of parenting, but protection is only part of it. Protection is not development. Protection and guarded exposure is healthy for the development of your children. They need to be exposed in a guarded sense to the things that they don't necessarily believe in order for them to form the convictions that they need to not succumb to the things that they've been exposed to. That's part of the journey, and that's part of who we are. And so, how do you manage discouragement? How do you deal with it when it comes? It's going to come. It's going to come. That's a given. The wind's going to be knocked out of you. What, 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 do we, what do we do? What do you do when you get in a swirl of situations and things are just kind of running out of control? You've got a mentor that is more than a mentor. He's like a father figure, and he's going to die. And Nero's turning up the heat in Rome, uh, throughout the Roman Empire, and you're pastoring here in Ephesus. And by the way, these people are taking your lunch money here at the church, man, because things are crazy. And all of this stuff is happening. You've lost sight of who you are. We want to go back and remember who we are. What does not change? Your identity doesn't change. Your calling doesn't change. Then, therefore, your obligation to fulfill your calling based upon your uh, identity, that does not change. 
get over to chapter 2, and Paul is still pressing into this. As I said in the book of 2 Timothy, I really believe the one word theme of the book is resilience. And there's seven core statements that he makes to Timothy. It's like a dad, you know, sitting down and launching his child and saying, hey, look, I know things are hard, but here's the seven pillars that you need to embrace. And I, I just have titled this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, uh, the, 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 the phrase, stay active. Stay active. Stay active. Now, when uh, Brendan, growing up, Brendan was quite the baseball player. In fact, uh, he, uh, he was in my early retirement program, and then he got called to ministry. And, and uh, no, he was... Uh, doesn't talk a lot about it, but he was he was pretty dominant as a ball player. And uh, his grandfather, my dad, played the old Negro leagues, and Brendan uh, Brendan had a great stick and this kind of thing. But he pitched and he played third base. And I uh, I played a little ball too, but I never pitched. And so when he got around 11, 12, he you know what he needed, I couldn't kind of give to him. And a good friend of mine by the name of Tim Cash, who used to play for Houston and L.A. for years as a chaplain with the Braves, very, very good friend of mine, had uh, uh, just really fell in love with Brendan and started working with Brendan uh, on his pitching. And uh, Brendan can throw pretty hard, but you get to a place, you get a little bit older, you got you your location is everything. A lot of them can throw hard, and kids can hit hard stuff at a certain point. So he was working with Brendan on location. I'll never forget what he said to him. I don't know if you remember this, Brendan, or not, but I was standing there. Tim, he was working with Brendan. Brendan's probably around 13 years old or so. And, uh, and so he said to Brendan, he said, now, Brendan, you know the difference between pitchers who bounce around the minor leagues and never make it to the show? He said, chances are the difference is that, that, that they can't hit their spot. They can't hit their location. And the greatest pitchers, the ones that make it into the Hall of Fame, are the pitchers, and, and, and he was sharing with him, the, the pitchers that, uh, uh, that, that never pitch to a batter. He says, technically speaking, great pitchers never pitch to a batter. Now, they know what the batter can do. They study them. They look at the film. But during game time, they don't pitch to a batter. They pitch to a location. They pitch to a spot. This is back in the day when John Smoltz and Tom Glavin and uh, Maddox were holding court there in Atlanta. This is Maddox and Glavin and, you know, and Smoltzy during a game, 30, 35,000 people in Turner Field, they don't matter. They don't matter. That batter doesn't matter. All that matters is what? catcher calls and if there's room but it's the spot it's that 12, 13, 14 it's just it's that spot that matters and if you're thinking about the crowd and you're thinking about that batter you're going to pitch not to move and guess what it's going to rain to that this is what Paul had in mind with Timothy Timothy, Timothy there's a lot of stuff swirling around there are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of issues. There's a lot of stuff that's happening. There's a lot of stuff that you could do that everybody wants you to do. They got an agenda for you. 
You, 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 you're going to be tempted to, 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 to mistake A plus, uh, to mistake uh, B minus with A plus, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna veer off course here. So, so, Timothy, what really matters? What matters, son? What matters? What, what's most important? What are you going to stay after? And again, this is why I'm so heartbroken. I got to tell you, I have to be careful because I, I'm, I'm really, the, these last four, five, six years, I said it yesterday, I have been heartbroken by, by how believers have gotten distracted and settled for a surrogate, a surrogate mistaken gospel. Secondary issues have become primary passions to us. And churches have been destroyed over this nonsense. And all of this stuff, these, these distractions that have been sent by the devil. Broken relationships. And I think this is, this is not new. Paul is speaking. The context is different. But the, the whole thing is not new. And Paul is telling Timothy, hey, hey, be, beware the barnacles that's getting attached to your Christianity. Beware the barnacles that's getting attached to your ministry. People don't want to recruit you for stuff. What, what are you going to stay after, Timothy? What are you going to stay after? And so in these verses, Paul tells Timothy, hey, look, you need the strength to focus, and then secondly, you need a will to you need a strength to focus, and you need a will to finish. And I argue from this text, Paul gives him the location of transformative biblical Christianity. This stuff doesn't matter. This is the location. Stay after this. So, verses 1 and 2, Paul tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, here is the here, here here's your strength to focus. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we think that certain words are just kind of filler words or just sort of like transition statements to get to the real essence of stuff. Every word matters in Scripture. Every word matters. So you gotta be you gotta be careful. You just don't get sloppy with terms here. In verse one, he says, "You then, my child." Notice again the tender language. Paul says. You're my son, okay? You then. You then. Personal thing. You. You. You, Timothy. What are you going to do? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's easy to read that statement and say, well, he's just giving a, a brief set of sentences, right? No, no, no. He, he's saying something here. Notice specifically... He says, I want you to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, actually, the word strengthened could have been translated, be empowered by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You'll find as you read through this letter, Paul is constantly pointing Timothy back to the supernatural resource that he has. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, what you have is the sufficient to do what needs to be done. Stop, stop downplaying your competency. 
Yeah, from a human perspective, no, 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 no. You're not the fourth member of the Trinity. No, you don't have, from a human perspective, but, 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 but you've got the third person of the Trinity living inside of you. And by the way, when he says be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, what is grace? Well, I know, I know that we typically say grace is God's unmerited favor, God's riches at Christ's expense, uh, these things. Well, that's, that's true, but in, in sometimes in our desire to get people to understand a heavy theological concept, we actually erode the meaning of it. Yes, grace is all of that, God's unmerited favor, but grace is much more than God's unmerited favor. It's much more than God's riches at Christ's expense, whatever that means. Grace has to do with God's incredible favor, implying resources, not just sentimentality, not a hallmark card. No, 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 no. There, 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 there is favor that is released on your calling. There's supernatural the old sages would call it unction, anointing that is released on you. Timothy, throw your shoulders back. Hold your head up high. You don't have to be intimidated by your moment in history. You don't have to fly underneath the radar. Hold your head up high, son. Throw back your shoulders. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. By, by, by the way, I got to tell you, and I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow, I think the times in which we're living today calls for courageous Christians. Calls for courageous Christians where we have got to stop reacting to the culture and by the grace of God become moral leaders of society. Strengthen. God did not call you to be passive, son. I said this the other morning. God did not give you the spirit of fear, delay, dalia, cowardice. He didn't give you that. He gave you strength. And as he sets him up, they just marveled. Then he tells them the location. This, this, your strength is found in the abundant grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You have everything that you need. I tell young preachers this all the time. Confidence is not a contradiction to humility. In fact, biblical humility is confidence. For biblical humility says, I am living my life dependent upon God. It's an unshakable confidence in the ability of God to translate to reality what he's called me to be about. So you stand before people in that degree of confidence. Thus, Paul says, my child, be strengthened in the grace of God. What, is, what, 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 is, what, is, what are you strengthened back for, son? Listen to what he says. He says in verse 2, And what you have heard from me, my son, what you have heard from me, my son, 
what you have heard from me, my son, what you have heard from me. You were with me on those missionary journeys. We went back and all copied my message. You saw how I did things. You saw the focus of my what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Actually, what he says to Timothy is this. This is the focus of your life and of your ministry. Nothing, 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 nothing is a sabotage for you. That's where the ball goes. When you step toward home plate, you lose it. That's the ball that falls right Nothing. Nothing. This is the essence of transformative biblical Christianity. By the way, this is a tour of everything that we're to be about. What Paul is doing here is just, in a way, summarizing the Great Commission. This is what we're all about. We're all about making disciples. It's all about life transformation. It's all about people coming in contact with Jesus. Now, notice what he says here in the text. He says, and what you have heard from me, okay, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Entrust to faithful men. Now, as you read through 2 Timothy, you're going to find a whole bunch of folk ain't faithful. These false teachers. And again, I'm going to say some things that may sound strong to you today. Some, <laughs> I got to be careful how I say this. Everybody's fragile. We're all created in the image of God. We bear, we, we bear that image on our shoulders. Don't get me wrong. But there's some people that's not worth spending your time with. I didn't say that they're not worth worthless people, but in terms of where they are, some people don't want to change. Some Christians don't want to change. Some Christians are, 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 are just, you know, they're, they're just uh, conflicted and they're struggling and, and they're, they're not really desperate enough to get to Jesus. And what Paul is telling Timothy is, is don't waste your time with these people. Don't waste your time with these people. As a pastor, I've learned to walk in the center of that tension. No, you're available to all. But your focus stewardship are those who want to move. Who want to move. So Paul tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, Timothy, this is what you need to do. You need to pour yourself into these people just as I did. Paul traveled with a team. This is what he did. He did seven things whenever he visited a city. And, and, and Paul and Timothy knew this. Paul was very strategic. I, I only go into all seven of them. The, the first thing is, is, is that he, he always traveled with a team, and that's because Paul was into spiritual multiplication. He poured himself. This is what Jesus did, and this is what he, he's going to do. Paul was into spiritual He always traveled the cities. Why? Because he was strategic. From the cities would emanate. Uh, influence at, at particularly at that time. He preached first in the synagogues, and he would because he believed to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. But he would, then he would move out to the Agora, to the masses. He 
and he preached to the masses. And by the way, these were the Gentiles and the Jews, and he put them together immediately. They didn't exchange choirs. They didn't have, you know, uh, little little understandings of ethnic dy- dynamics that, that divide us and this kind of thing. No, but he believed the gospel was the power of God and salvation. It was his message, and he put them together immediately. And then what did he do? Began discipling them with a focus on leadership. That's where he spent the lion's share of his time with these leaders, faithful men. See, Timothy, it ain't rocket science, guys. It it ain't, ain't that complex. Focus on these faithful folks. Give yourself to them. And I want to encourage all of us as followers of Christ. Now, notice the disciples. I know, I know Paul is speaking to a spiritual leader here. He's speaking to a pastor. says, I get it. But the Great Commission has been given to all of us, every last one of us. It belongs to every last one of us. And I think every believer ought to be involved in not only sharing the gospel but pouring themselves into helping other people grow and become and look more like Jesus, but also sending them. You don't want spiritual clones. By the way, he said, find faithful men. Faithful.
this is the answer. This is what I've called everybody here. And it was like cold water to my heart. Because this is what he's called us to focus on. Don't inject this stuff into your Christianity. You, you, I didn't say don't be clear about it. It should be clear. We should, and I'm not telling you who to vote for or not vote for. Saying you, should, you should do that. You should vote your conscience. Vote, vote what you feel like you need to vote for. Support the mold stuff that needs to be supported. God knows we need to do that. I ain't saying all of that. But all I am saying is this. Don't let any of that stuff shroud the cross. Don't let any of that stuff, don't let any of that stuff stand in the way of getting people to Jesus. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't let your arguments, don't let your positions do that. And Paul is telling Timothy the same thing. Basically, he says, Timothy, listen, hold this high. This is what Jesus died for and rose again on the third day. Multiply that. Stay after that. So, Timothy, you need strength to focus. Stand in the strength of the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. But he says also you need the will to finish. It's, act, it's actually like he's saying, okay, Timothy, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one thing to know the right thing to do, right? It's one thing to know the right thing to do. It's quite another thing to endure. And persevere. You know, you can you can hip hip array this thing and go to your little gospel, you know, pep rallies and stuff, and everybody get all excited and sign up and this kind of thing. But hey, man, when the stuff comes down, are are, are you going to still be standing? Thus, in a very brilliant way, the Apostle Paul gives three illustrations to Timothy. This is the location, Timothy. It's called discipleship. It's called the Great Commission. It's called pouring into people. No, not making them like you, making them like Jesus. This is what the location is, okay, buddy? Now, but then he gives three illustrations. And I love it. Because all three illustrations, um, I'm going to get into them in a second, but all three illustrations have these two things in common. Perseverance and endurance. Perseverance and endurance. Perseverance and endurance. Perseverance and endurance. Just because it's right does not necessarily mean that you're going to be successful. Success comes by leaning into. Okay? So he says, Timothy, you, you're going to have to have a will to finish. To get it done. To go after. Now, the three illustrations are these, and I'll put some meat around them. And the first illustration he he uses is that of a soldier. The second one is that of an athlete, and the third one is that of a farmer. But each one has a sub message to it, I believe. The first illustration he gives is that of a soldier, and I think the message that he's telling Timothy here is: remember what you signed up for. Remember what you sign up for. You didn't sign up for a weekend retreat. Okay? You, you didn't sign up for a short-term missionary trip. Right? Remember, remember what you signed up for. Listen to these words here. 
verse 3. He says, <laughs> share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He says, okay, Timothy, this is what's required. You, 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 you knew that. It's, like, it's almost as if he said, hey, hey, boy. <laughs> you, you were with me on these missionary journeys. It's not like you looked at some little cleaned up website that had all these nice flowery things and flowers. You, you were there. You, you saw the, and I use this term not in a profane way, you saw the hell that we all went through. You, 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 you saw that. You, you, knew, you know that, right? Okay. Remember the message, though. Remember the Great Commission. Is it worth it? Absolutely. But you got to remember what you signed up for. And if you're a soldier, you're going to fight in a battle. And you're going to get shot at. And you're going to go without stuff. And people are going to come after you. You, you just have to remember what you signed up for. And again, as I said the other day, part of the struggle that we have in Christianity in the Western world is that we have reduced it to a bunch of transactional, fluffy, um, breath-mint statements. And somehow or another, we think that Jesus Christ exists to help me to have a better lifestyle or make me a better version of myself. That is not biblical Christianity. There's suffering. There's a price to be paid. And, and I, I, I think that Paul's saying to Timothy that as a servant of the gospel, you've got to embrace the training and demeanor of a soldier. This is nothing more than what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 9. Remember those three encounters there at the end of chapter 9? Those three encounters that he had with people? where he busted their expectations of what it meant to be a disciple, I think sometimes we forget that there's a cost involved. The first dude comes up to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus, this dude is just a verbally committed disciple. Maybe he had been in the crowd where Jesus did a miracle, hip, hip, array, or this kind of thing. Or maybe they were at the, the temple when blind Bartimaeus got healed or whatever it was. And notice how Jesus responds. He says, seriously, seriously, you're going to follow me where I go, okay? The birds of the air have nests. The foxes have holes. But I, the son of man, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. You still want to follow me? Another dude says, oh, you know, hey, you know, I, I, I want to follow you, Jesus. I really do. I want to follow you. Jesus responds to him and said, man, look, you know, you, you want to go home to tell me and, 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 and you said your dad's dead, he's dying, and, and you want to take care of him, and then you want to come follow me. this dude was saying was the colloquialism, his father probably was not dead, but he was dying. And during the time of Christ, sometimes elderly referred to those dead. It's a terrible thing. And he wanted to take care of his dad until he died. And Jesus said, no, your number one priority is to follow, follow me. Responded to 
there. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. But first, let me go ahead and say goodbye to those. Put it in my mouth. An old man said he was standing at the bottom and looking back and saying, Jesus is God. It costs us nothing to become a follower of Christ. Don't get me wrong. But it costs us everything to be a follower. So Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, hey, buddy, wait a minute, look what you signed up for. In the words of the late Elizabeth Elliot, Jesus Christ has not called us to a playground. He's called us to a battlefield. And I think, I think Christianity in our modern culture, we have lost that. We've lost that. That there are difficulties. But how much does Jesus mean to me? What am I willing to go through? So we have to embrace it. You've got to be single-minded. The expression, you know, a soldier does not get entangled. Doesn't get entangled. Doesn't get entangled. Uh, he, he, he doesn't get entangled in civilian pursuits. You've got to be careful. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. I think as believers, we need to be careful how much emotional energy we give to secondary issues. We got to think about that. How much primary passion am I giving to these things? Are these issues eroding my commitment to Jesus and what I really stand for? Am I, am, I, am I communicating by my demeanor, by the things that I do, the things that I say, what I put on social media and this kind of thing, the supremacy of Christ in all things? Am I allegiance to him in all things? Am I erecting barriers for other people coming to know my Savior? And so Paul is telling Timothy, well, I, he doesn't spell out what these civilian pursuits are, but he says, Timothy, Watch it, watch it, watch it. You've got six silver bullets and 24 targets. You can't shoot at everything. You better be careful. Make sure you're shooting at the right stuff. Remember what you signed up for. The second illustration is an athlete. Soldier says, remember what you signed up for. The second illustration, the message here is rules matter. Rules matter. He says here, um, verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He's not crowned unless he competes. Well, what he's communicating to Timothy is, hey, Timothy, you don't write the rules for your effectiveness. Now, those rules have already been determined. It's not left up to you. It's not your prerogative to tell God what meaningful, transformative Christianity should look like for you. No, rules matter. Rules matter. Um, and I understand that uh, we're living in a time in our culture, and this is where Christians can't be afraid to be counterintuitive. We're living in a time in our culture where people are celebrating themselves, and affirmation is the new standard. Affirmation is the 67th book of the Bible. The cardinal sin of Christians is not to affirm what other people want to think and what they want to believe. And this stuff has made its way into our the way we do church. And so you don't you you, you don't don't use heavy terms like holiness. 
Don't use strong terms like sin. Don't, don't talk about repentance. Why? Because that's not where they are. You don't give God a script. And what Paul is telling Timothy here is that, um, um, <laughs> it's some rules, buddy. careful of disinviting fools in your Christian journey. You're going to get confused. You're going to get screwed up. This is the reason why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, I keep my body and bring it under subjection, lest that after I've preached to others, I myself should Christians can be disqualified. And please, please, I, I listen to me. Listen to me. Christians who continue to accommodate sin and compromise in their lives, God will take his hand away. like you can't play a baseball game or a football game or uh, an NBA basketball game or anything. You, you can't do it if you, if you bust the rules. You ain't related any going to the Olympics because you smoked a joint. Okay? Well, I'm sorry. I feel for her. I do. I really do feel for her. That is not legalism. Uh, that's not legalism at all. You're not you're not keeping rules to prove to God how holy you are. You're keeping rules to demonstrate your gratitude to God for His grace. The third illustration that he gives here. Well, soldier, remember what you signed up for. The athlete, uh, rules matter. The farmer, you will be rewarded. He says here, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have first share of the crop. He says, Timothy, you hear me, hear me. There is a payday coming. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible does teach that we ought to we ought to affirm one another, encourage one another, and applaud one another, and give honor to whom honor is due. And we ought.
will do that. God, I mean, that's, that's the motivation, right? But ultimately speaking, you, you're not going to get your reward down here. We labor down here for, 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 for that reward over there. Paul would come back to this as he preaches his own eulogy over in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. He would come back to this, using himself as a motivation to Timothy. It's saying, down here, this ain't it. This is not full. This is not what we live for. Some years back, I wrote a book entitled, For a Time We Cannot See, it's about the motivation of heaven. Part of the problem that I see today, and you know, and again, I know I'm kind of like railing on all of us here, but please hear my heart here. Part of the problem that I see that's come out of so much transactional Christianity is that we've lost the primary New Testament motivation for living the Christian life. The primary New Testament motivation for living the Christian life, you know what it is? You know what it is? It's eternity. It's eternity. It's an eternal perspective. It's not about marketing yourself. It's not about positioning yourself. It's not about people, you know, liking you and this kind of thing. The primary motivation in the New Testament for living the Christian life is standing before the Lord. And thus Paul would say as he preaches his own eulogy, knowing that he's going to be decapitated. This is not going to end well from a human perspective. And yet he's more concerned about Timothy than he is about himself. And so to motivate him again over in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. By the way, don't read that as, as Paul being sad and negative. Uh, this, this word translated departure was used of a, a, a freight ship there in the Mediterranean, packed down, ready to set sail for the ultimate destination. And he's saying in so many words to Timmy, this is what I live for, buddy. This is what I live for. And thus he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. One of the disadvantages of history is that we know the impact and fruitfulness of people who did not experience the impact and fruitfulness during their lifetime. Paul had no idea, no idea, no idea that millions, yea, billions of Christians would be blessed by what he wrote. He had no idea. He didn't know anything about that. He was just staying focused and staying at what God called him to do. He was hitting his location. And it's all up to God. It's all up to God what he does with the fruitfulness of my life. This is what I tell younger leaders all the time. Be a little bit careful of being obsessed with marketing yourself. Now, I'm not against marketing. We've done some of that ourselves. I think you've got a message to, and you've got things to get out. And my brother with his music, he needs to let people know about that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But you've got to be very careful, very careful of coming across that this is it down here. You kidding me? You kidding me? There's nobody that can predict the impact of their lives. That belongs to God. What Paul wanted his younger son to do.
think we need to recapture a wonderful word that sounds fabulous by today's standards. But it's the word noble in the English. What makes something noble is that it is enduringly, refreshingly, always It's not flimsy. It's not faddish. It's it's what it's what we would think. It's it's the picture of Daniel in this pagan environment who stood by eternal principles that brought divine relevance to his moment and his paradoxical rudderless pursuit of relevance will make you terribly irrelevant. The rudderless pursuit of irrelevance, the rudderless pursuit of relevance will make you terribly irrelevant. But the passionate pursuit and application of eternal will bring a sense of refreshing relevance and eternal enduring relevance to your minute And this is what Paul is getting at. Can you see? Don't come up with ideas for God to do through and through you. Forget it. Don't give him a rib shot. No. You take what he has prescribed for you to do yourself into it. You give yourself to it. You remember what you signed up for. You remember that you were forgiven. And you remember that there's a reward waiting for you there. And God will give you every bit of the glory that you deserve. Father, we pray that you'll help us to take it. Forgive us for being so Forgive us, oh God, for getting off track and being distracted by so many lost people. Oh God, while we have spitting contests with ourselves about secondary issues, killing people, dying, and going to hell that never heard about Jesus, they're in prisons of lust and sin and addictions and all of this. arguing over stuff. Oh, God, help us. Help us to get back to doing what Jesus commissioned all of us to do, to make disciples of all the nations. Help us, God. Help us to keep throwing our lots with that which we serve. Do that in my heart and life because I'm just as guilty as anybody else of getting pulled into secondary stuff. Help us to stay up and stay focused. In Jesus' name. Amen. I think someone just summed it up behind.